Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. I'm excited to dive into God's Word today, and we are going to actually read our scriptures today. We have been in a series called Relationships 101. We have been exploring relationships, and today we're going to finish this series out. Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Chasing, what's it called? Chasing Carrots, where we're going to be talking about what we prize and what our lives are built on. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 next week. We're finishing out Philippians chapter 2 today, and I'm excited to preach God's word to you, but we are going to actually read our scripture text first. So could we go ahead and put that up on the screen behind me? And let me just kind of bring some context here. In this chapter, uh, this is this is all about relationships because Paul is writing to a church he loves, a church he planted, a church that he just has deep relationships in, and he's reminding them about some relational principles. Week number one, Pastor Dwayne spoke about how Jesus is the example for relationships. Jesus is not just a savior, he's an example, right? And we see this, why? Because Jesus took his power, his privilege, his position of being God's son and did not lord it over us, but used it to serve us. And that is the fundamental core of what, of, of, of what godly relationships are, is that we take whatever we have and we use it to serve. Last week, Pastor Carey, he talked about how relationships are the context for how how we become more like Jesus. Because I don't know about you, marriage isn't just to make you happy. Marriage can be to make you holy. Can I get an amen? Typically in marriage is the way you, you get shaped and formed to be more like Jesus because you don't know anyone better than them, yet you are called to treat them as good as God treats you. My God, that can be a challenge. And last week, Carrie talked about that. Today, though, I want to talk, talk, uh, I want to talk to you from a sermon that I am calling Relationships that, that Flourish. Relationships that Flourish. We actually see here in this portion of scripture about how Paul had flourishing relationships and he specifically spoke of two different people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Yes, that, that is the guy's name, is Epaphroditus. So for those of you who are pregnant or you have pregnant friends, I would put that as number one on your list. Epaphroditus, you could call him you could call him Paffy. Hey, Paffy. Epaphroditus. You know, I, I just think, you know, if I named our fourth kid, we're not having a kid. Just saying. I, I don't know if my wife's here. She said, I'm not going to tell you what she told me if we had a fourth kid. She said, I'm done. We're, we're done. We have a six-year-old. So she's like, we ain't going back. We're staying right here in the moment. But it would be Epaphroditus Ware. That would just be a little weird name. You know, just a little weird name there. But um, anyway... Um, we, let's go ahead and read our scripture text now. The, the thing is, right, like this here is Paul um, sharing about two friends he had, Timothy and, and Epaphroditus, that he deeply loved. And you'll see in his writing how much he loved them and valued them and cherished them and respected them and publicly was commending them to the church in Philippi. So let's go ahead and read this together. It says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you don't have to, to read that. I'm, I'm sorry if I made it seem that way. Reading this long of a, of a scripture passage would inevitably be challenging. Okay, so I'm just going to read it 
to you today. All right, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit that he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All of the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send, there's our guy, Epaphroditus, back to you. He is a true brother, a co-worker and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you and he was distressed when you heard that he was very ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing, me, uh, while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you this time. Speak to us through your word. We need it. We're, we're like hungry people searching, thirsty people searching. Well, would you fill us today with your word? In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You can have a seat. Have a seat. Before you do, make sure you turn around and greet somebody and tell them good, and tell them good morning. Tell them that you're glad to see them today. And we are going to dive in. Thank you so much, Jenna. All right. Well, hey, we are excited to dive in today and finish up our relationships series. And today, like I said, I want to talk to you about relationships that flourish. And I sincerely believe that all of you want here in any relationships you have, whether it is work, marital, or friendship, or whatever, you desire to have relationships that are flourishing instead of dying, right? And really, whenever you think about it, um, relationships are not, or, or flourishing relationships are not created, they're cultivated. Like, I don't know about you, but good relationships don't just come out of the womb perfect. They've got to be cultivated. Like, I don't know, for those of you who have been married for more than seven days, you realize that flourishing relationships, marriages, don't wander into health. They do not just, oh, we're just... No, it's like, it takes what? Intentionality. It takes cultivation. And even that word cultivation implies gardening, which I, so here's the thing, right? My wife and I, we decided we want to be people of the earth. So we decided we're going to have a garden in our front yard. Well, that lasted about one season. <laughs> because, because we learned how hard it is to cultivate. About how you got to plow the soil. Then you have to plant the seed. Then you just don't plant the seed. You have to grow the seed. But you don't just grow it. Then you got to do what? You got to protect it. I remember seeing squirrels. A squirrels be coming up in there trying to get our seeds. Coming out there like a, with my shoe, like, get out of my seed. Get out of my garden. Why? Because, like, we planted something and we wanted it to grow. But here's, here's the thing. This is what relationships are like. They, it's not all pretty. You put the seed in and in perfect soil and it just grows. No, you got to have a cultivation mindset. And that's why to, today I want to talk to you about how to cultivate 
flourishing relationships through our scripture text when we hear Paul talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus because there are some principles in this portion of scripture that Paul says that you can tell he had flourishing relationships with these two men. That there was just something different and unique about their relationship that, that, that was just awesome and powerful and you could tell encouraging on both sides. Now, I don't know about you, relationships can be your greatest source of joy and for some of you have been your greatest source of pain. Let's just be candid. But the reason why you, you wanted it to work out, the reason why you want relationships to work is because you desire for your relationships to flourish. And this was God's original intention is when he was in the garden, he did not leave Adam by himself. He said, the first thing he said that was not good is that man was alone. He said, I need to give him somebody to come and be with him so their relationship can flourish, so, so it can not just flourish with each other, but so they could together be flourishing in their relationship with the Lord. So today, just three thoughts about putting in your tool bag about how in whatever relationships you have, whether they're practical, whether they are marital, whatever, that I believe you can put in, in your tool bag today to help see and cultivate relationships in your life flourish from our, from our scripture text today. The first thought's this. Relationships flourish when there is encouragement. When there is encouragement. I don't know if you noticed and you picked up that as we were walking through this this scripture passage today, how specific Paul was with his encouragement of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let me give you a few examples here. He said this. He said, Timothy, I got no one like him. He said, man, this dude cares for people. He said, a lot of other people, they, they, they just don't care. But then he said, not those that that follow Jesus, we care for people, and Timothy exudes this. He said, man, he's proved himself. He, he has been with me like a, like a father with his son. We have preached the gospel together. And then he was talking about Epaphroditus. He said, this dude's a brother. He's a coworker. He's a fellow soldier. I mean, what a description of, of a relationship. Like, we're, we're blood, not by birth, but we're blood because of the blood of Christ. Uh, we, I've got a fellow coworker. We're just not friends. We're working towards a goal. We're working towards something. And then, too, we don't fight each other. We fight for each other. If you want a three-word description for what kind of relationships you should pray towards, that's a good one. God, I got a, I, I've got a brother a coworker, and I've got a fellow soldier. But he was specific in his encouragement. He said, this dude, Epaphroditus, he almost died for the gospel, but he pressed on. And then he said this, give him honor. I love how Paul here, and this is Holy Scripture. We believe that God's word is fully inspired by God, that, that God and everything in this book God wanted there and has a specific purpose for it. And I just find it intriguing that in Holy Scripture, you see Paul specifically encouraging and praising his friends. Like, not general, like, hey, this is Paul, Timothy, you're, you're, you're awesome, dude. Or like, you know what, Epaphroditus, you're great, bro. 
Don't you love those people at work that kind of just talk in generalities? How'd it go? Awesome. Okay. Why? <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of like, like, why was it awesome? Like, so you, so you did an event for work. Okay, you said it went great, but, but I think, unfortunately, many times we fail to actually describe, like, what made the event great because that takes deep thought. That takes noticing. That takes thinking. That, like, that takes time. That takes more than just a quick emotional Passover, that means you actually have to dig in and think deeply about what happened. But here's the thing. Our culture is not discipling us to think deeply. We're fast. We're quick. Move it. Move it. Quick, fast, hurry. And what I love is the fact that Paul took time to specifically write specifically what he loved about his friends. And so I think the first thing that when we're talking about how you, about how relationships flourish. Number one, relationships flourish when there is intentional, specific encouragement. Let me teach you guys a f- phrase today. Ready? Let me tell you why. On the count of three, everybody say that. Ready? One, two, three. Let me tell you why. One more time. One, blah, blah, blah. One two, three. Let me tell you why. A great practice to start in the context of whatever relationship you have is to start encouraging, yes, but then let that encouragement turn into something specific. So then whenever you say, babe, I love you, and let me tell you why. I respect you. Let me tell you why. You are an amazing person. Let me tell you why. Because, y'all, we all know this works and the power of this. And here's the thing. The, the downside of not, doing, do, of, of not doing this practice is you will inevitably pass over things that you should be encouraging the Lord, but you will actually miss it because it's something that is always there. Isn't it true we pass over things that are always consistent and always there? Like how many of us have thanked God for the breath we breathe? How many people have said, yep, let me actually pause right here, God. (sighs) I thank you for the, no, but we, we breathe in, out. It's normal. It's something we do the whole time. So it's not like we actually pause and say, God, thank you for from my breath. But do you know the power of gratitude? Something that I have been, been geeking out on is a guy named Andrew Huberman. He's actually the head of neuroscience at Stanford University. And this guy talks about the power, and I mean, mental health and the power of stability in your brain, mind, and kind of how that influences your whole body. And he does a lot of training with world-class soldiers. He does SEAL teams. He trains high-performance athletes. And he said, one, he said the first thing he tries to drill into their minds that is a superpower is this word. Ready? Gratitude. Because he says what kills a person's spirit and psyche is they get focused on everything they don't have instead of being grateful for what they do have. And this is from a SEAL and a soldier 
to a professional athlete. Because why? Our culture is wanting you to get fixed on everything you don't have, everybody you don't have, what you don't, what you don't, and what does that cultivate? Pride. And it cultivates this, let's just get on to the next thing instead of saying, let me take time and specifically notice and see what I do have and praise and speak encouragement into who was in my life and for what they bring. Do you see that? Like, do you see how that could transform dying relationships? How some relationships that are hanging on by a thread, let me challenge you this next week, point out specifically things that you've passed over for years that have always been there, but you've never called that out and said, thank you. I mean, this is just a cheap example, but you know the power of it, right? So I've got my beautiful wife here, Kristen. Hey, babe. I mean, how does it sound like, hey, babe, love you? And there are some times where you got to do that, right? Like, I can't be like, I'm like walking out the door. I got to be somewhere in five minutes. Hey, babe, I love you. Let me tell you why, you know, like, what is this? Is this a burrito? Oh, I was like, yo, I, know, I was like, I know what I'm eating uh, when it's done. But that, but that looks like a Chipotle burrito. So anyway, sorry, I just got hungry. Um, but honestly, what sounds better? Love, love you. You're great. You're awesome. Or, babe, I, I love you, and let me tell you why. You are an amazing mother to our children. Like watching you, and I mean honestly, like watching you love our children. <laughs> Jesus, God, like three boys is absolutely wild. And, and, and honestly, the love and tender care you show them shows, shows me the tender love and care of God. The way you love me in spite of my imperfections, which are absolutely many, um, and encourages me and shows me what, what the love of God is like. Thank, thank you. Thank you for doing so many things that no one will ever see with this church. That, that, that honestly is just done in the background, that no one can see, that nobody notices, that will always be done in the background, the checking in on people, the texting people, the, hey, how you doing? I'm thinking about you stuff. I mean, that stuff is like the backbone in our church. And I just appreciate that, and I love you. Like, like d doesn't that sound better? Like, but here's the thing. Like, what, what if we flooded our church with stuff like this? So it's not just about relationships in the context of a, like, marriage or anything like that. But, but what if, as a church, like, we spoke what people meant to us? Like, one of the things you hear that people have that they regret on their deathbed is I never told those close to me how much I love them. And how grateful I am for them and how thankful I am. Don't wait, y'all. Like, let's do the hard work of pausing and thinking and calling out those things that are consistent and naming them and thanking people for it. Why? Because that's just not good for them. That's good for you. Because you will have a tendency and you will have a deep proclivity to pass over things that are consistent. Some of you, your spouses have been doing things for years that you've never even acknowledged and thanked them for. You just saw it as, well, that's what they're supposed to do. Which that might be true, but at the same time, I think if you were in the other position, you would like to be acknowledged and thanked. And just seeing that it's actually seen. 
right? So I think it would be amazing if we just had a flood of specific encouragement in our church, in our, in our relationships. And do you know how it starts? It starts with that phrase, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Can we all say it one more time? Let me tell you why. I hope I hear that phrase. And some of y'all going to do it in jest. Some of y'all going to be like, hey, Pastor John, I love you. And let me tell you why. And you can joke about it. But it's going it's, it's to get in you. It's going to get in your heart. It's going to get in your vocabulary. And my prayer is that when, when you start doing this, couples, when you start doing this, we'll start hearing testimonies about how, oh, my gosh, like the overall atmosphere in our relationship has gotten better. Because scripture says this, the power of life and death is in the power of what? What you say. And here's the thing. I'm not asking you to, to be cheesy, right? But some of y'all might need to start there. <laughs> like some of y'all, it's so ingrained to not do it. It's so ingrained to just, oh, it, it doesn't matter. They know. Yeah, they know. They probably don't. I very rarely in pastoring 15, 16 years, have ever had somebody come to me and say, I, I, actually one person, Paul Baker, <laughs> that's, he's like the, the only person that was like, or, you know, you, rare, you very rarely hear people say, man, I've got too much encouragement in my relationships. <sighs> I just get inundated. I'm drowning in encouragement, <laughs> right? No one says that because people are drowning because they don't have it. So, so, so y'all, here's the thing, right? Paul said this, do not let any unwholesome talk. Now, unwholesome does not mean truthful. Okay? Because some of y'all think it's unwholesome when someone tells you the truth. I have no clue what just happened. That was an amen from heaven. Yeah, that was, I'm like, what is connected? I'm thinking that was a computer, I'm guessing. Um, let me tell you why, exactly. <laughs> Let me tell you why. <laughs> I totally just lost what I was, oh yeah, unwholesome, right? So here's what, I, here's what I'm not saying. Don't just be overly encouraging to try to convince yourself of something that is true. Because some of y'all need to say, let me tell you why, not just with encouragement, but with other specific things that might be truths you need to tell your, your friend. So here's what I'm not saying is, 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 is just, you know, is just is cover up people's stuff with just a bunch of encouragement. No, you can be encouraging while also, too, acknowledging reality. But the thing is, we say it in a loving, graceful, Christ-like way, right? Because some of y'all are like, man, just, so what, are we supposed to be nice all the time? I mean... I mean, you know, sometimes the nicest thing you can do is lovingly tell someone what is true, right? But what I am saying is I'm pretty sure many of your relationships are lacking encouragement, so let's sprinkle in some more encouragement. What I am saying by sprinkling in encouragement is not taking away the fact that sometimes the truth has got to be said, but, but, when, but whenever you say it, you do it in a loving, Christ-like, wanting to honor them way. Right? This is what it says. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is what? Helpful for building others up according to whose needs? 
their needs so that it may benefit those who listen, right? Life and death is in the power of what you say. God did not create a thing until he spoke. Your word has creative, has creative power to bring life and death into whatever relationship you're in. So let it bring life. The second thought is this. Relationships flourish when there is, everyone say it with me. Commitment. Commitment. Let's just be candid. The culture we live in, and we can see this by dating apps. We can see this by gym memberships. We can see this by a lot of different things. People want the blessings of commitment without the burden of commitment. You've got a bunch of people floating around relationally looking to get the benefits of commitment but not wanting to actually commit. That is called, I'm not not, going to say it. (laughs) Um, I think y'all know what I'm saying. (laughs) Welcome to Life House, okay? If this is your first time here, we got some rowdy people. But honestly, and that's what many times people go on dating apps for. And I'm not knocking dating. There's a lot of people in our church. They have, they have found their spouse on there, and we're not, we're not knocking that. Do it, but at the same time, do it with the seatbelt on. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? But most people, it is because they want the benefits of commitment, but not to actually give any commitment. And that is why you see broken relationship. That's why the cultural scene now is typically hook up, shack up, break up. Hook up, shack up, break up. Hook up, shack up, break up. And it's, it's, and it's, just, it's just this perpetual wanting to find people that are committed, but then they find people that just want to take advantage of them and benefit them, but not actually commit and have pseudo-commitment until they get what they want. But this happens not just in relation, but in, in just in dating relationships, whatever. This happens in relation, because y'all, we are being trained to, to say, how can we get the most out of something without committing anything? You see this in workouts. It's, you know, people want the benefits without the work. They want the benefits without the burden. And as people of God, that is not the way of Jesus. I just want to let you know. The way of Jesus is commitment is a burden. Do you know how we know that? He died on a cross. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, I am committed to you. He he was all in, right? And he could have called angels. He even said, I could call angels to wipe these people out, but that would not finish my commitment. My commitment was to come and die for people that did not deserve it, but so I could go and do something they could not do so they could get something that they could not get. So Jesus said, I am committed to you, and he showed it on the cross. He did not just, and then he got the blessing of his commitment, which is now he's seated with his, with his father in heaven at his right hand, ruling and reigning until his father is going to say, go and get my people. So, as Christians, we don't strive to just get the benefits of commitment without giving and understanding the burden of commitment. But specifically marriage-wise, this is something that needs to be stated. 
Don't be somebody that wants the physical pleasures and the physical benefits of commitment, but doesn't want the burden of saying, I'm going to give my life for you. Because what you are doing is you are setting in place a path of wrong order. Because here's the thing, everything you do is training you. So if you tell your spouse, let's just move in and try it, what you're saying, love is something you try before you buy. That's not love, friends. That is not love. That is called, I mean, you know, call it whatever you want to call it. But Jesus showed, Jesus did not say, well, let me see how these people are going to act. If they're faithful, I'll be faithful. We weren't faithful, friends, from the beginning. And even from the beginning, he said, in spite of them being faithless, I'm going to be faithful. Okay? So, as Christians, we don't try before we buy. Love is a decision. It is a covenant that you say, I am choosing you. I am choosing to commit to you. But not only am I choosing to commit to you, I'm going to, then we're going to commit to each other. And then once we have the burden of the commitment, then we should be able to experience the blessing of commitment. But now we have a world that's completely backwards. And what, what I have seen in Christians, okay, so these are two people who are committed Christians. They're having troubles maritally. They have no biblical reason to get divorced because the Bible does give a couple specific situations where divorce is allowed. One, if there's adultery. Two, if, if, if a spouse leaves, unbelieving spouse leaves, okay? But what I have seen in counseling and within being a, a lead pastor is that before there is a decommitment as a Christian in the relationship, there is a decommitment to their relationship with God. Because here is the key thing. Commitment to Jesus predicates people's commitment to each other. In other words, let me say it this way. The way you learn to be committed to finite, broken people is a infinite, holy, loving God is committed to your broken down, messed up self. So the way that you even learn to give commitment is you receive commitment from God. Does this make sense? Like the context of where you even learn how to be committed in a committed relationship is by the simple fact of you growing in the knowledge and fact that God is committed to you despite how messed up you are. And so because you can receive commitment and you see that God, he doesn't give up, give up on you. He loves you in spite of your worst. He, he wants to love you up to who you now are in him. Then because you have received that and you have knowledge of that, then you can go into, into, into some other committed relationship and be able to give the very things that cultivate commitment because you've learned what commitment was from your relationship with God. And for some of you, the reason you're struggling to be committed is because you haven't learned what it means to be loved and committed to with God. Or you, or you haven't learned or really received or really had revelation about how committed God is to you. And here's the thing. The way you learn to be committed to someone else is when you learn how committed God is to you. Does that make sense? 
Do you guys hear that and feel that and see that? Why? Because look, y'all, it doesn't matter if it's marriage or church. People, we are crazy. How many of you know that song? It's a country song, so don't judge, judge me. It's an old song. God is great. Beer is good. <laughs> and people are crazy. <laughs> you never heard that song? How many of you heard that song? Okay, we got some people here. God is great. Beer is good. People are crazy, right? Like, <laughs> right, and the way that we are going to take, I mean, just think about how many different people are within this room here. Let's say we're all trying to come together to be the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about our histories, our past, our experiences, all the stuff that are complex and unique about us. And we are called to come together, as Scripture says, to be the body of Christ, to be one. It's a miracle that's got to take place. Because your personality is going to rub up against, some, against, somebody, against, somebody's, against somebody's different personality. You're, you're going to have experiences that are, that are going to shape and form you to think a certain way. And someone's going to have an experience contrary to that. And then you've got to, to come to the table and talk. And then you have to like, do you know how much of a miracle it is for a group of people to come together and say, we are bonded and centered and committed to Jesus. Therefore, we're not just committed to Jesus. We are committed to his people. But as that commitment, it's like the only way we can understand what this commitment is, is when we individually understand the commitment that Jesus has to you. Well, so Jesus did not use his position of power and prestige and authority and privilege to lord it over us. He used his power to serve. He used his position to serve. He didn't stay up there and be like, change, people. He came down and became like us so, we could, so he could understand and know what it's like to be in a human body and experience the same struggles, the same things that we walk through. Y'all, it's, it's like it, if, as we are all uniquely individually, and com, uh, uniquely individually committed to Jesus and understanding his commitment to us is the only way we can be committed to each other. And the only way that we can build real community as a church, because you know the deeper you get into relationship with other people, the harder it gets, inevitably. And so, but if you have a, well, I'm going to try before I buy, and once it's bad, I'm out mentality, then you don't understand Jesus' commitment to you. So here is my heart, not just for your relationship, but for our church that we would be a people who understand the Lord's commitment to us so you can understand then what it takes to be committed in your relationships personally, but also the relationships that are required to build community corporately. Does that make sense? So relationships flourish when there is what? What is the first point? Encouragement. Encouragement. The second one, relationships flourish when there is Commitment. And the third thought that I want to share with you today that we see is relationships flourish when we are more focused on becoming the right kind of person instead of looking for the right person. Shatahaba, right? About to speak in some tongues up here. About to start speaking in some tongues up here. Because what... <laughs> what I love about whenever Paul says like, 
I mean, I'm honest, because you see the kind of people that Paul surrounded himself with. Proven, faithful, there with me, like ride or die, Epaphroditus, soldier, co-worker, like, fell, you know, like, brother. It's like, I think Paul had these kinds of friends and people that were close to him because this was the kind of person Paul was striving to become. See, y'all don't know, some of y'all probably don't know Paul, that whenever he got saved, so Paul, he had this idea, like he hated Christians, hated them. He was so committed to the Jewish tradition and the Jewish law, he was on his way on a horse to go and murder Christians. Jesus showed up to him, knocked him off of his high horse. He fell down. He, blind, he was blind. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? But Jesus essentially told him, you're mine now. You're going to do my will. And you know what Paul did? Paul, he went to the church and he kind of said, hey, I'm not going to kill y'all now. I actually love Jesus now. There was kind of like that whole conversation that needed to be had because they were scared of him because they had heard about him. But then scripture actually says Paul went away to the wilderness for three years to do what? Work on him. To work on him. To work on him. And who knows in that season what God did that switched his focus and switched who Paul was. Here's the thing. You typically are drawn to, and I'm not saying all the time, but most of the time, you are typically drawn to who you are in friendships and relationships. So I'm not saying all the time, but most of the time, that is why toxic people are attracted to toxic people. Because that is the lens they see through. Right? That is why broken, and here's the thing, we're all broken. But that is why really broken people try to go and find really broken people. Because typically whenever you're really, really broken, you are trying to find somebody to fill a hole that only God can. So then you have two thirsty, you, 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 you have got, you've got one thirsty person and some other thirsty person trying to fill their thirst with each other. And this just isn't sexually. This could also be in so, in so many different ways, whatever ways they're broken. But typically what you find is those who are striving and working more to become a certain kind of person instead of looking for a certain person typically are growing more healthy. And as they get healthy, their vision of what to look for actually becomes clearer. Because it's crazy. Whenever you start to get healthy, like how many of you have, have been in that? Like I walked through this a couple years back where I was so steeped into a church culture that was just all about like grow, 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 get the church bigger, faster, quicker. When I stepped out of that and got into like some healthy like, oh, like, huh, Jesus loves me. Even if I... Even if I never grow a church, wow. And that sounds crazy, but I was in a toxic environment. And when I got out, it was like, wow. So now when I am around pastors that all they talk about is how big their church is, I'm like, I mean, I'll, you know, it's not like I'm, okay, dude, I'm not there anymore, you know. I'm not like a jerk, but I'm, I'm, I'm just like, that's, that's toxic to me. 
Before though, I used to be like, let's talk, man. What you got? How you growing? What you doing? Now I'm just like, bro, that's, that will kill my soul. And because I've gotten, I've, because I've gotten healthier, it has, it, it has now given me a lens to say, who, you know, what is health and how can I be attracted to that? And in your relationships, if you spend more time looking, you take away the time you have to become. And some of you are in a season of singleness right now. The girl that just laughed, I don't know who that was. She's like, <laughs> she's like I'm single. But here's the, here's the thing, right? Your season of singleness, y'all, I'm telling you, is a time to spend on you becoming more like Jesus. Because the more you spend trying to find and I'm not saying as you are becoming, you can't look for. But what I am saying is your main priority is to become more like Jesus. And as you become more like him, that will then open up your eyes to see where people really are and give you the ability to notice health. Because the healthier you get, the healthier your discernment is. The healthier you get, the healthier your vision becomes. And then you even have the ability to be like, thirsty. <laughs> Love you, but you need Jesus. You don't need me <laughs> because I love you, but I don't need you. The healthiest place to be in a relationship, marriage, whatever, is I love you, but I don't need you. That sounds whatever. That sounds countercultural. That might sound whatever, but here is the only thing. The only thing you need to fulfill the void in your soul is the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And do you know what that does? That then frees you to love somebody without an agenda. Because if you're thirsty and you're trying to fill a void and I just need, 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 then what you will intentionally or unintentionally do is deify that person into a place they were never created to be. The only thing you want to deify is Jesus in your life, Jesus in your heart. He is where you get your firm foundation. He's where you get your, 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 your love for yourself. Because some of you, right, you, like some of y'all forget Jesus said, love others as you what? Love yourself. And the reason why you struggle with loving others or kind of the reason why you, you even you want to love others is because you don't even, you want to get the eyes of, off of yourself that you don't even love. So you think, if I can just love someone else, then I'll, then I'll find love. And what you're doing is, is you're putting, like, you want their validation of you to justify you loving yourself. When part of, like, no, like, God loves you for you. And I'm not trying to give any Dr. Phil, like, Oprah stuff here, okay? I'm not saying, just love yourself. Just get better. You attract who you are. It's the secret. You know, I'm not saying that stuff. But what I am saying is there are some spiritual principles here. Is that as you grow in how much you are loved by God, then that will make you less thirsty for the validation of someone else. There will only just be a drink for an eternal soul. When you need the living water, that's what Jesus said. He said, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, your soul will never be hungry. I hope y'all hear, hear my heart here. 
even if you are in a relationship right now, you could possibly be deifying your spouse and blaming them for the joy you don't have. Let me say this. Your, your, your joy is your job. Because when you blame, you give away your power. Everyone doing okay? <laughs> this is healthy, y'all. This is, this, is, this is good stuff. Why? Because as Christians, we're called to be self-controlled. You know, Jesus was the happiest and most joyful person on, on the planet, and he was a single man who never had sex. Just saying. And he was fulfilled in his father's love. So, if you are blaming somebody in their relationship of friendship for your lack of joy, then it sounds like you might need to take a season of focusing on becoming more than you are looking and blaming. I really don't know where to go from from here because I kind of feel like I'm done, but it's kind of that like weird transition moment. Um, let's let's review. Jarvis, can you go ahead and come on? <laughs> come on. <up. laughs> <laughs> just let's go ahead and start. Just go ahead and start playing the keys. Um, let's let's review. Um, go ahead, can you go ahead and put that slide up? Here's here's the thing. Flourish, flourishing relationships are full of encouragement. Let me tell you why, y'all. Let's become a let me tell you why people. Let's not hold back until our deathbed. Let's do the hard work of deep thinking. Let's do the hard work of gratitude. Let's do the hard work of noticing specific things that we have been overlooking for years. And let's cultivate and fill our relationships with specific encouragement. Y'all, commitment, God is committed to you. His commitment to you will teach you how to be committed to someone else. Don't be someone that wants the bennies without the burden. And lastly, becoming instead of looking. Let's, let's, let's cultivate sometimes ourselves before we try to cultivate somebody else or something else. You'll become what you look for. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.